The next right step, that has been the conversation we've had for the last few weeks in Scripture, is what is the next right step that God would have for us to take? And we're examining that through the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, the great hall of faith chapter that records men and women who, that's all they did. They heard the Word of God. They took the next right step, and it was often things that were seemingly impossible. Um, you know, we, the ones we've studied so far, though, if you consider... It doesn't seem so outrageous for a man to offer a lamb as a, as a sacrifice. And we can connect to that. That makes sense. It doesn't seem that outrageous even that a man would be walking with God and that God would then take him. And we may not understand the full gravity of all that is, but still, it's a man that was walking with God and pleasing God. But then the, the person we look at today, now this one's way out there. Because now we're talking about somebody who built a boat in the middle of a desert. By the word of God came, come to, coming to him and now choosing to take the next right step in building a boat in the middle of the desert. We all know we're talking Noah and the ark, which is one of the most famous Bible stories told of all ages. It's one of those that's kind of hard to grasp sometimes. I kind of get a kick out of this because, you know, it's always the Noah's ark stories and all the the decorations for children's nurseries. You ever think about that? The most cataclysmic event in all of world history where more people died in one single moment and that's how we decorate a baby's room. That's awkward. Yeah, I grew up in a home. My mom collects Noah's Ark. So she's got figurines and all these little gadgets and everything. I grew up in a house surrounded by the story of the most cataclysmic moment in world history. And it, it has shaped me. Okay, so... Thanks, Mom. <laughs> but you're trying to grasp the whole gravity of this, and quite frankly, because it seems impossible, scientists will look at it and say, this is impossible, there's no way that rain could flood the earth to that level in 40 days and 40 nights. I will show you today in Scripture that there might be missing a little piece here that's really, really critical to understanding. But when I, I get digging into this thing and thinking, okay, is it even feasible to flood the entire earth enough that you could lift a boat the size of a football field and get it all the way up above the mountains that it would then come to rest in the mountains of Ararat, which is in Turkey? And... Is that even a reality? And if it's not a reality, then we have a huge problem with our Bible because now our Bible is simply an allegory in the Old Testament, which means it's just a story that has symbolic meaning, but it's not real. I reject that, that idea, by the way. I do believe the story of Noah. Noah was a real historical person. I believe he really built a boat. I believe the wor world did flood, and I believe that boat came to rest in the mountains of Ararat just like the Bible says it did. But it's hard to grasp. And here, if we don't grasp it and believe it to be true, it reduces so significantly our understanding of who God is. We miss out on the goodness and the severity of God. We miss out on the Word of God being God who would pronounce judgment and follow through with what He said He will do. At the same time, a God who makes a covenant and would fulfill that covenant, we miss that. We, we are lessened in our faith because we don't see God for who He really is. We miss this story and we miss the, the scope of a man's faith that he would hear the word of God and endure in building something that was seemingly impossible. And enduring this process of a construction thing in the midst of a completely perverse generation of people and yet he builds a boat that took him 120 years to build. 
And if we miss all of that and reduce it to something that's just an allegory, it's just a story, it's a, it's a good one for kids, it's kind of an idea that helps us all just get a hold of who God is a little bit and the scope of mankind, we miss the magnitude of the fact that Romans 15 teaches us that the things that were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we, through patience and comfort of the Scripture, might have hope. And we miss that. All of a sudden now, our, our faith is reduced to rubbish because it's no longer really grounded in the Word of God. It's not the reality of what God can do through the lives of people. And so all of a sudden, we, we question then the sovereignty of God and the power of God. So as I got digging in on this, I, you know, I'm fascinated by storms and events. And so you start to look at images. And I look at an image of localized or even regionalized flooding that takes place like it did when Hurricane Harvey hit Houston. Or you look at the pictures of what happened in New Orleans whenever, obviously, Katrina hit New Orleans. And you think about in Pakistan. Let's go around the globe. And there's Pakistan gets hit with a flood. It's all regionalized. But then you start thinking about the floods of Europe. And those make headlines all the time if you're on that global look. But then there's the great tsunami of 2004 in Indonesia that wiped out 2 million plus people in a moment. And you start looking at this and it's like, okay, well, yeah, those were moments where it rained a lot, yeah, for three to five days. And pretty intensely, regionally, and it, it flooded pretty good. A tsunami that rolls in with this massive wave enough to wipe out two million people in a moment. And then you start looking at all the, I didn't bore you with a bunch of pictures, but the flooding that took place from the geysers where a geyser would cut loose and just wipe out an entire town or village or city. But then I was looking at the scripture and noticing, you know, when God spoke to Noah, he told him he was going to flood. He hadn't told him yet how. He just said it was going to flood. We'll see this in a minute. But interesting with this, God did later, later say that He was going to do it by opening up the great fountains of the deep. And God would bring this rain down from heaven. So it wasn't just a significant rain event, though it was a massive rain event for 40 days and 40 nights. Not regionalized, but globalized. But what if God cuts loose? Cuts loose the fountains of the deep. So... In a moment, I decided to research the, the depth in which you might drill water, find water in every major city on the face of the earth. Because we have water everywhere. You go around even the villages of Africa, and what are we doing? Drilling wells to provide water to a village so they don't have to go to a river. All you do is go down into the fountains of the deep. You take every major city, and it doesn't matter whether it's Beijing or New York City or anywhere else in the world, what do we do to find water? We go down to the fountains of deep. And that's where you find the aquifers. It's hundreds of feet deep of water. Well, what if God cuts loose that stuff, and now that water that's under the ground is on top of the ground? Doesn't seem so unrealistic now, does it, to put a boat on a mountain? Not at all. But that's what the Scripture describes. And so as we go today and look into the book of Hebrews chapter 11, before we get there, we have to also grasp the fact that Jesus himself spoke of this event in its reality and not just in a fictitious form. In Luke chapter 17, Jesus said this, And as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be also in the days of the Son of Man. 
They ate, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Jesus speaks of this as a real event, and matter of fact, he's painting it on a bigger picture of a kingdom scale. He's likening it to the fact that when the Son of Man comes, before the Son of Man comes in his glory to set up his kingdom, this is what's going to be happening. We anticipate this now in the future. When Jesus said this, the king was here. The Son of Man was here. Jesus came to establish His kingdom. But we know that people at that time rejected Jesus Christ as the King, as the Messiah, as the Savior. And so the, the gospel then, the good news of salvation then made available to Jew and Gentile alike. And so for the last 2,000 years, the gospel has gone out so that all people everywhere have an opportunity to be saved. It is the mission of our church is to take the gospel message to the ends of the earth and fulfill what Jesus told us to do. And we do it one step at a time as God shows us and leads us how to go. But Jesus speaks of this event. He said that people will be eating and drinking and, and giving in marriage and it'll be like business as usual and everybody's just having a great time. Then, bam, all of a sudden the Lord shows up on the scene and judgment comes because at that time people will not be listening to the things of God, rejecting what God's Word has to say. So here's the key to this. If Jesus validated Noah's flood as legitimate and real as much as His return, our whole faith hinges here in this. You reject Noah and his flood of Genesis, you're rejecting what Jesus said, including his return. Significant impact to your faith. And so Hebrews chapter 11, let's examine. Verse 7 says, By faith Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to to faith. Let's take this apart a phrase at a time to understand the scope and gravity of this. By faith, Noah, being divinely warned. We need to get back Noah's backstory. So we're going to roll back to Genesis and see what was happening in the days of Noah. Genesis chapter 6. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever. For he is indeed flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years. God has just made a proclamation. First off, the Spirit of God is striving with men, convicting men, revealing truth to men, and men are not responding to this anymore. So God has now stated that the span of time from, from this point on is 120 years and it's game over. Because God is, God is speaking, God is moving, and no one's listening. And verse 5, Then the Lord, saw, the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent, not most, but every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Don't miss the, the gravity of this. It's only evil. There's not a shred of good in this generation. Now we think about the scope of evil, and oftentimes we'll say that. Man, that was just, that's just flat evil. And it's the exploitations of people against people and people dominating and destroying other people's lives for no reason. It's just completely reckless. Or destroying other aspects of God's creation and just destroying animals with no reason, no recourse whatsoever. It's only evil continually. It also lets you know something, that the law of God written on the heart of man, the conscience, is so seared that not able to even hear anything that God is saying, just completely rejecting anything that God is saying or doing. And that's the time Noah is living in. This is intense. 
Verse 6 says, And the Lord was sorry that He had made man on the earth, and He was grieved in His heart. Why? Why would the Lord be grieved? He's grieved over the sin, but this was not the intended purpose for mankind. That's why. The intended purpose when God created man for His own pleasure, according to Revelation 4, all things are created for the pleasure of God. God's intent with mankind is this, to have a loving relationship with mankind. When it started right in the garden with Adam, they would walk in the garden in the cool of the day. Man and God had a fellowship, a relationship, intimacy. There was love there. It was all what God planned. God's design was Adam and Eve, be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth. Fill this earth with sons of God who will love God and worship God because He's God. That was the plan. Sin entered into the equation, and so now sin run amok starts to just multiply and become to the place now where evil is the only thing happening. And it grieved God because this was not what God designed. So the Lord said in verse 7, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping things, birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. That is the temperament of what Noah is dealing with. And here's the key to the next, next part. Verse 8 of Genesis 6, But Noah, but Noah, all of this is going on around, but Noah, and here's a contrast, found grace in the eyes of the Lord. This is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man, perfect in his generations. Noah walked with God. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, which simply means this. The Spirit of God is moving. God's grace is being extended because God is always ministering in a manner of grace and dispensing grace. Everyone around Noah is rejecting the Spirit of God's movement. They're rejecting the grace of God extended. But Noah's responding to God. Noah is a man who's receiving this grace. He's the man who's responding to God's Spirit. And as a result of that, Noah is a just man. He's justified in his generation because his, his manner of his life is he is a man walking with God. And it says he's perfect. And don't confuse that word with meaning sinless perfection because only Jesus fits that description in human form. Noah being a perfect man was someone whose sin account was kept current with God. which speaks of his humility. So here's what we learn about him. As a man who is just, who's perfect, he's walking with God. Amos chapter 3, verse 3 says that, well, can two walk together unless they be agreed? Well, yes. Noah and God are in agreement with each other. That means when Noah steps out of bounds of God's will and his, out of his grace... Noah's convicted about it. Noah comes back into a place of repentance and in humility responds to God's grace. And that way, what happens? They're now walking together. We often use that phrase of, you know, so-and-so is not walking with God right now. Or you might commend someone that says, man, they have a really genuine walk. Well, what do we mean by that? Obviously, when someone is not walking with the Lord right now, that's a real gentle, nice way of saying, no, they're living in sin. But we don't like to say it that way. It sounds terrible, right? But they're not walking with the Lord. 
They're rejecting right now the truth of God's word. They know what the Bible says. Not going to listen to it. I'm going to go do my own thing. Well, that is, you ramp that all the way up to a big level. That's what's happening in Noah's day. But we also describe someone who's got a real genuine walk with the Lord. Well, what do we mean when we say that? It's somebody that's, that th their life emulates Christ, the gentleness and goodness and faith and temperance and self-control. It's so evident. There's a humility there of recognizing, being self-aware of your own capacities and your own sinfulness and, and the needs of others. And so you want to be a, a servant unto others because it gives you a great perspective of how other people and the plight of other people. So you're always putting yourself in a spot to come alongside of others. Well, that was Noah. It's funny, in, in the book of Micah, chapter 6, verse 8, it says this, that God, He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Well, that's the testimony of Noah. So of all of humanity at this time on the earth, Noah is this one guy listening to what God has to say and now walking with him one step at a time. Noah was a man who was being warned. God came to him in warning. Verse 13 of Genesis 6 says that, And God said to Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me, and the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. We'll skip to verse 17, and God gives him this warning with some level of understanding. And behold, I myself am bringing floodwaters on the earth to destroy from under heaven all flesh, in which is the breath of life, everything that is on the earth shall die. God now gives warning of something that Noah hasn't seen before. The idea of a flood that would destroy all of mankind and all living things. Haven't seen that one yet. And so now he has nothing to go back to like we do. You think about the scope of this, guys. Noah only has what God has told him and a limited amount of human history preceding him and the words of the fathers passed down when you notice in the scriptures that Noah is the eighth man from Adam. And so when you look at who are the men who were God followers who were calling upon the name of the Lord, well, there were a lot. And so what was passed on to him was simply the, the word of God has been spoken to people and now they're passing it on to Noah. And here we go with Noah. Hearing God's word, it's so real and so true. The concept of something he's never seen though. But God now wraps this with a promise. In verse 18 of Genesis 6, he said, But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall go into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you, and God's going to rescue the eight of them. And this is it. And so now Noah's going to set out from here with that much information... And God does give him in about four verses a blueprint of how to build this thing. The, the length and the width, make it three stories tall, you're good. Put a window in it, you'll need it later. Got it. And he goes to work. And now what happens in Hebrews eleven seven? it says that he then moved with godly fear. It means that, well, he moved. He didn't sit and wait around and confer. There was no delay in his step. He took the next right step. God said... He's going to flood this joint, and I need to build a boat. Let's start building. And so he moves with godly fear. Well, what is a godly fear? Godly fear simply means God means what he says and says what he means, and I'm going to move based upon that. If God says he's pronouncing judgment, he's not kidding. 
If He's going to flood it, it will happen. If He tells me to build it, I'm going to build it. And I'm going to keep doing that until God tells me not to do something else, or to do something else, I should say. But for Noah, there was no delay. There was no self-deprecation here of, I can't, I'm not good enough, not skilled in the trades, I don't know what you're talking about, I don't know. There were no excuses. This task is too difficult. I don't have the support structures around me. People aren't going to understand what I'm doing, and I don't know about all that. He didn't go consult with others to kind of get some polling data to consider, hey, is this going to work for us or not? What do you guys think? Should we do it or should I not? I think I heard this from God. I'm not so sure. No, when God spoke, it was real. It was just as real as when you sit down and read the, the written word of God. This is God speak. Do you receive it that way enough that when I see it, I read it, and then I need to grasp it, obey it, and walk then in it? He didn't delay and say, you know, I need to pray about that. I'm not sure. No. God spoke. He's moving. See, here's what you learn with Noah. Because he's a man who's walking with God, he knows God's words. And when God spoke, he knew it was God. And so now you move with godly fear. Well, what does he do moving with godly fear? He prepared an ark for the saving of his household. The aspect of preparation of an ark. A 120-year-long building project. And you say, well, yeah, but people lived a long time. I realize, true, he lived over 600 years when it's all said and done, but 20% of this man's life was wrapped up in building this boat. What would 20% of your life look like? How many years? You think about right now in life of the, the struggles that we might have that, man, if, if I don't get an answer inside of a week, it feels like forever. If you delay in something, or God seems to delay an answer, a month, a year, things that many times people say, well, you know, I've been praying about something for 15 years and finally got to see it come to pass. Those testimonies speak volumes to my heart because it's the steadfastness of Noah who by faith believed the word of God and walked in it. He was so confident in God's word that he continued even in the face of criticism and objection. In a generation that's only evil continually, the thoughts, the things that are done, the exploitations against mankind, we can only imagine, because the scripture doesn't go into a lot of description about it, we can only imagine the amount of persecution and heckling that would have happened for Noah in his day. But it did not cause him to deviate from the Word of God. Our risk as Christ followers, we have the Word, we have the Holy Spirit, we have God's direction, we have this means to pray as we do to come to the throne of grace where God dispenses His grace freely and we hear the Word and then what's our risk? Delay, opposition, Maybe this isn't what God's really doing in my life because it's gotten too difficult, and so now we conclude that, that maybe that God's not in that. And that could be. God does close doors. We see that in Scripture where the Apostle Paul endeavored to go certain places on mission and ministry, and God said, no, you're not going there. I'm going to send you over here. And so we see God close doors, but it wasn't just because it was difficult. 
Now, but we often will be in that spot when things get hard. We stop and conclude that eh, that's just not of God. And I don't know if I'm the right person. I don't really know if I can keep doing that. And we start to diminish the supernatural that God wants to do in our lives and through our lives to reveal the glory of God. We rob God of his glory sometimes in our lack of faith. But here's what happens. Noah builds this boat. We're 120 years now. Move forward. Genesis chapter 7. The Lord said to Noah, by the way, during that 120-year time frame, there's no recorded words of God speaking to Noah for 120 years. That's a long time of prayer life, but we have no recorded word from God saying anything else to this man while he's working. It's why, guys, we study the Scripture. You come together to sing the songs, to be reminded. We have to remind each other weekly. It's why coming together is so critical. Because when we sing songs, we literally preach messages to each other that I know I will never be alone. There will always be another in the fire. And we sing the songs of God's gospel too so that we can remind each other of the goodness and the severity of God, the promises of God, so we don't miss it because we're apt to. In verse 4, Genesis chapter 7 says, For after seven more days I will cause it to rain on the earth. There's that word rain. finally showed up. I'm going to cause it to rain on the earth 40 days and 40 nights. Notice the boat's already built. And I will destroy from the face of the earth all living things that I have made. And Noah did according to all that the Lord had commanded him. And that phrase is repeated through the Noah story. Noah did according to all that the Lord commanded him. We'll skip down to verse 11. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, the 17th day of the month, on that day all the fountains of the great deep were broken up. God busted wide open. So here comes the waters from the depths. But not just the depths. They were broken up and the windows of heaven were open. So now the water comes down. And now this cataclysmic event that we've all talked about, it's happening, it's real, and eventually this boat's going to float. And not just float, but it's going to get even above the mountaintops. After 120 years of perseverance and endurance of faith, and opposition, and construction, and demolition, and everything you can ever face in that time, Noah faced it. But here's what God had to say about him, back in Hebrews chapter 11. By which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. Now, how is it that Noah condemned the world? You know, when you read that at face value, you're thinking... He got on the boat and was like, suckers, you know, kind of yelling and heckling at everybody. Now, that, that's not the condemnation. The condemnation is this. Noah believed God. Noah took the steps that God told him to take, regardless of circumstances in the surroundings and the consequences. That's what faith does. But Noah now, as light in the midst of a dark spot, the light is what condemns. Or the, the people are already condemned, but here's the deal. They're rejecting the light. Noah is speaking. He is called the preacher of righteousness in the book of Peter. 
So now if Noah is the preacher of righteousness, he's not only speaking the word of God, but his very evidence of believing God's word and building this boat in the middle of the desert makes him the preacher of righteousness. And now those who are rejecting the light are condemned in their sin. They have the evidence of God speak because here's a man who's doing the work of faith and yet rejecting it completely. It is the same that Jesus described in John chapter 3. When Jesus said this, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. He who believes in Him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Here's the reality is Jesus himself shows up. He is the light of the world. And even in his day, the rejection of light. Why? Because those condemned love the darkness rather than the light. And their deeds were evil. Have you ever done, noticed that if you choose to live righteously before the Lord, you will be accused by those that are condemned in sin will condemn you for exposing their sin. Now, wait a minute. What what, just, what I just say there? Yeah, think of it this way. You are invited or even provoked to become a part of something that you don't... That's not for me. I'm not going to be a part of that. And you just say, no, thank you. You're real gracious and kind. Just no thanks. Not my deal. And those that condemn that behavior are, are, are condemned, wanting to go live in sin, live in darkness. What do they usually say? Hey, stop judging me. Why are you condemning me? I'm not. All I said was no thank you. Yeah, but I feel the condemnation from you. I'm not trying to portray condemnation here. I'm simply telling you no thank you. Why is that the response? Because the condemned, here it is, men love darkness rather than light because the deeds are evil. So here's the deal. When you love your darkness, you don't love light exposing the darkness. So the second that sin is all running amok and someone doesn't want to do, be a part of that, that's light. Because someone's walking in righteousness and they become a preacher of righteousness and now the, the sin doesn't like that, doesn't want to be exposed to that. They reject that. So what do they do? They reject you and now condemn you for, condemning, for the fact you expose their condemnation. And so here's what happens. We have to understand, first off, when someone recognizes the contrast, it reveals the Spirit of God is working in their life. There's conviction there. It's a great opportunity to share in your life how God transformed your life. And that you're not just some stiff rules follower. No, you're a new creature in Christ and this is the life that God's given to me and I want to honor God with my life and everything that I do. And someone may say, you know, I'm interested about that or they may even just say, you know what, that's good for you, you do you. And that's a common phrase. Nevertheless, Noah... In his generation, God declared him righteous. Based on what? I didn't think you could be righteous until Jesus Christ came and paid the sin debt. Well, let's watch. 
In Hebrews 11, verse 7, it says, He became the heir of righteousness, which is according to faith. By faith, Noah. Now listen, he built a boat because he was righteous. He didn't build a boat to become righteous. Noah took the next step of faith in front of him because he believed God. God declares him righteous. Based on what? Based on his faith, he simply believed the word. The word comes to you today in this, that Jesus Christ, the word, became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. That Jesus Christ himself being the word that now we, by faith, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ in believing that he is the Savior, that he died to pay my sin debt in full, believing that he rose again from the grave on the third day and he is alive today and seated at the right hand of the Father, living to make intercession for me. But he's the king. And according to the scripture, he is going to return one day and he's coming the next time, not as a lamb, but as a lion, making war with the enemy and those that reject God. And so the warning then comes. So today God provides an invitation and says, come, all that will. His grace is being extended. God's love is being extended. His mercy and His long-suffering, just like it was in the days of Noah, waiting 120 more years. And God is long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The fact that you're breathing today is an evidence of God's long-suffering and mercy. And if you're not yet a Christian, God's extending His mercy to you today that right now, by faith, you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior and be saved and set free from the condemnation of darkness and forever being condemned away from God. Instead, today, by faith, trusting on Jesus Christ, what happens? I become now light. And God lights me up, puts His Holy Spirit inside of me, saves me from sin and gives me eternal life. And only He can do that because He is the one who conquered death. And so maybe the first right step in your life today is to trust on the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. Maybe there's another step that God has for you to take, but I want you to catch this for all of us today. Noah did not build the boat to become righteous. Noah built the boat because he was righteous. Romans chapter 4 verse 5 affirms this even where we are right now. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. It's not the issue of the work. You will work out your salvation with fear and trembling. You work out what God is working in. But you don't work for your salvation because you can never pay God back for the fact that we have all trespassed against God. You can never restore that. Only God himself can pay that debt, and he did. Jesus Christ the Lord. I invite you to bow your heads with me this morning. And I want you to contemplate right now, what is the next right step? God speaks, you respond. What is God speaking into your heart? Is God calling you right now to salvation to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ?
Maybe you're sitting here today and have no confidence that if you took your last breath today that you would know you would be for sure in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ and live for eternity with the Lord. No, no assurance of that. Well, let me just tell you, God wants you to be sure. He wants you to be able to walk in your life in total confidence and security of what the Word of God says, believing that Jesus Christ is the Savior. He died for you, paid your debt, and rose again from the grave, and He only can give eternal life. Is the next right step the step of salvation for you? If you're a Christian in this room today, what's the next right step? God's Word speaks. Have you found yourself growing weary and well-doing? That 120 years starts looking real big in the, in the window, doesn't it? I needed Noah's perseverance to remind me this week of what it looks like to just don't grow weary and well-doing. You'll reap if you faint not. What's the next step? Is there a step of, that God's calling you to, to engage, to move with godly fear? There's something that God's working in your life. It's an area to serve. It's discipleship. I need to, you know what? I need to take a step to be mentored in my Christian faith, to grow in my faith, to intentionally engage in, in places where people gather so I can learn the Word of God. What is the next right step that God has provoked your heart and convicted you about maybe today and maybe this is the moment where maybe just you just need to lay some things before God this time of invitation is a time where we take what we've heard respond to the Lord and I'm going to invite you in just a moment down in the, in the front of this room if you want to just bow down and pray before the Lord you do that feel free to do that if you want someone to show you how to become a Christian we'd love to open the Bible and show you how to become a Christ follower Is there a step you need to take today? Father, do in us what only you can, and that's through the power of your Holy Spirit to reveal truth, bring conviction, and show us the next right step. And I pray we would obediently follow you today by faith. In Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. Let's stand to our feet and let's sing a word back to the Lord.